Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. All right, so last time you're going to see me, I promise. Um, no, I have the pleasure to introduce um, probably one of the coolest people on the planet, and that's from personal experience. And right now what we're going to do is we're going to hear from Pastor Brad Leach. Come on, make some noise. No, for real. For real. Pastor Brad Leach is our pastor's pastor. He's the pastor of City Life Philly that helped plant us and launch us and lead us into what God is calling for Lansing. So he's pastored us from a distance, y'all. If, if there's like, this is like family conversations, yo, this is like OG, this is grandfather, this is like dude who's been doing it for years in the trenches for Jesus. So lean in today. This is a DNA conversation. This is who we are, heartbeat type of stuff. So as he comes out, I want you guys to give the biggest round of applause for Pastor Brad Leach. What's up, City Life Lansing? Give it up for Devin. How many of you are grateful for the team here at City Life Lansing? I got to hang out last night with Rhett and uh, Devin this morning. Gonna go to lunch in a little bit with Modesto. And uh, Marissa's been dominating details for me traveling out here. Just so grateful for your leaders and the, uh, the, the team that is... Uh, it's doing such a great job uh, shepherding City Life Lansing throughout this summer. And how many of you are grateful that uh, Pastor Jerome and Crystal get to get some rest this summer and God is going to bring them back so refreshed for a new season of ministry here in Lansing. And I've had the privilege of just walking in relationship with them for many, many years now and they are the best, the real deal, and I know you realize that, but sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder, and hopefully even throughout this summer, you're recognizing what a gift you have in Pastor Jerome and Crystal. I know they're not here right now, but how many of you know that uh, sometimes what you say about people behind their back, that's what really matters, and so can we just honor them together, the leadership that God's given you in your church? Love you so much, Jerome and Crystal, and your kids are awesome. And I want to shout out, too, to everybody who's joining us online this morning. So grateful that you're a part of what God's doing here in our church. And um, uh, I have had the privilege of being married to Leah for 14 years, and we have four kids. Thank you very much. Uh, Gabby, she's my oldest. She just turned 13 a week ago. So we're doing it. And my daughter Claire is 11, Caleb is nine, and Karis is six. And so I remembered all of their names and all of their ages. I'm on a roll this morning. <laughs> and uh, so our, our lives, our home is filled with a lot of adventure, a lot of prayer. And if you are a parent who has uh, some kids, listen, you experience something, and maybe you can relate with me. I'm just going to be honest and transparent right from the start today. We experience something I call compassion fatigue. Because you want to, you know, have a soft heart to your kids' tears, 
to their pain, to their problems, to their drama. But sometimes, you know, the drama can just really come in like waves. And by the time you add two, three, you get to four kids in your family, uh, you start to hit a tipping point where your heart begins to vacillate between compassion and cynicism. Come on, parents. Any of you hear what I'm saying? And uh, I've experienced that. A few years ago, my wife was out of town on a trip, and so I was holding down the fort. And we were at uh, church for a weekend, and um, we had some bounce houses set up in City Life Kids. And so after the first service, I had just got done preaching. Uh, the lead, some of our kids' leaders, they brought Gabby to me, our oldest daughter. And they said, hey, Gabby got hurt. She fell in the bounce house. She got hurt in the first service. You know, she's, she's upset. And so I started to talk to her. What's going on, babe? She said, well, my arm really hurts. And I said, okay, listen, I got to preach one more service. So I tried to get her set up in the back room. You know, we got some ice. I said, I'll be back in a minute. Uh, just, you know, take care of yourself. So she sat down and I went, I finished up the second service. We went home. She was just continuing to complain, dad, my arm, it really hurts. And so like a good dad, I was just trying to give her the best wisdom I could. I I said, babe, you got to stretch it out. You got to stretch it out. You got to use it. You can't just, you know, if if you, if you don't, it's going to keep getting stiff. And so the next morning, you know, she's going to school, dad, something like my arm, it really hurts. And Gabby, she's prone to a little drama at times. And so I just kept, I just kept coaching her, babe, you got to, you got to use it. You got to stretch it out. Don't let, it's going to keep getting worse if it stiffens up. Just keep, and so Monday rolled through Tuesday, she's walking around the house, you know, like this, dad, my arm, it really hurts. And so finally, I thought, all right, I'm going to check this out. So I took her to the doctor. The doctor took one look and said, she needs to go over to the ER. So I'm starting to sense I could be in trouble here. I took her to the hospital. They sent her in for, for some x-rays. And sure enough, they came back into the, into the uh, waiting room and they said, her arm is broken. And so parent fail. I said, babe, what do you want? Anything you want a pony. I don't know where we're going to put it in our South Philly row home. Like it's yours, whatever you want, it's yours. Please just don't tell your mother. And so, uh, some of you parents maybe, maybe have been there. And I think when it comes to the hurting and broken world around us, I mean, there's pain, there's drama, there are tears in our world today. And sometimes it comes at such a breakneck speed. I don't know if you have felt like this. I have over the last few years. Like the news comes in faster than your heart can take it. And I find at times my heart, I'll be honest with you, vacillating between compassion and cynicism. I want to keep a soft heart toward the pain, the drama, the tears of the broken world around me, but it can feel overwhelming at times. You just take one issue, mass shootings. We have seen over the last few months, time after time, 10 people killed in a grocery store, 19 children killed in an elementary school, people killed at a 4th of July celebration, not far from here. And according to the Gun Violence Archive, in the month of May, 63 mass shootings. Month of June, 65 mass shootings. So far, just as of July 7, 
In the first seven days of July, 25 mass shootings. I mean, it just comes and comes and comes like waves. And I don't know what your response is when one of those reports pops up in my feed. My response to these is, I just want to swipe. I'm tired. You feel that exhaustion. And not only with the world around us, but then in our own personal lives, we're dealing with things. We're absorbing things. You have a family member who's diagnosed with cancer. You have a neighbor that's going through a divorce. You have a friend who is filing for bankruptcy, struggling financially, not sure how they're going to make it. And you want to weep with those who weep. You want to keep a soft heart to the pain that's around you. But I think if we're honest, our hearts can begin to feel overwhelmed, can begin to harden, can begin to slip into some cynicism because it's a lot. Here's the challenge. I believe that God wants you and I to maintain a soft, empathetic, compassionate heart for a hurting world around us for the rest of our lives. So the question is, how do we do that? In a world where the pain can feel overwhelming, how do we maintain that heart that's soft, that's responsive? And the good news is that God has built right into our physiology a rhythm that helps us maintain that heart. And it's as simple as breathing in and breathing out. Everybody go ahead and take a big, deep breath in with me right now. Go ahead and let it out. We breathe in, we breathe out. And here's the big idea that I wanna leave with you today that I hope will encourage you and help you. It's our regular experience of God's presence that fuels resilient compassion for a hurting world. I'll say that again. It's our regular experience daily with God's presence that fuels a compassion that is resilient for a hurting and broken world around us. And so God wants you to experience his presence. We come into this auditorium week in, week out. We experience his presence. We experience God's presence in our car on the way to work during a lunch break. God wants you to experience his presence, but it's, but it's so that you can then take it to a hurting world. And, and so I want to talk about that today. And I want to share with you a story that is so important. It's recorded in three gospels, Matthew 17, Luke 9, and we're going to read about it today in Mark chapter 9. And it begins in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, from the life of Jesus. It says that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So Jesus pulls in his three closest disciples. He takes them up to the top of Mount Hermon under the spinning summer constellations where they are going to have an unforgettable moment with him. And as he takes them up there, I want to just share with you two simple principles about how to steward God's presence in your life. And the first one is simply this. We got to get close enough to hear God's voice. Get close enough to hear God's voice. And so Jesus takes them up and he gets them away from the busyness, the demands, the tasks of their lives, and he takes them up onto this mountain. And, and a mountain in scripture simply represented the place of revelation, where God would reveal himself to his people. And God wants to do the same for you, and for me it may not be a physical mountain. He just wants to draw us away from the busyness of our lives so that he can reveal himself to us in a fresh way. And so it says this in verse two that he was transfigured before them. 
And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. This is magnificent what Peter, James, and John are going to witness here from Jesus. It says he was transfigured before them. The word is metamorphin. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. It just means to change. And so Jesus' bodily appearance was altered before them. And he was beginning to glow. It was brilliant, radiant glory that they begin to see that they could still recognize that it's Jesus, but his appearance was altered. It was changed. And you get the sense here that the gospel writers are just grasping for any metaphor they can find to try to translate to us what this moment looked like from Jesus, that, that, you know, it's brilliant and it's, and it's radiant. And Luke says that his clothes were brilliant, like a flash of lightning. And Matthew says that his face shone like the sun. And so if you could imagine a diamond, you know, if you get a diamond under the right light and the light begins to hit it, you see the multifaceted brilliance of that diamond at different angles. And it's, it's as if Jesus is that diamond and there's linear light just shooting out of him. And the disciples are looking on, you know, we just had the 4th of July. Anybody else into fireworks? I love a good, I love to go to, I go to Phantom Fireworks. I load up, get the buy one, get one specials and deals. And I'm a sucker for it. And I bring them home and I do it just because I love to see my kids' faces as we're doing the fireworks. And so they're watching the fireworks, but I'm watching them. And I'm, I'm seeing the, the lights, you know, bouncing off of their pupils and their eyes are getting big. And that's the sense that Jesus is there. He is like a shooting star grounded in front of his disciples. And the light is just like a fireworks show just going off inside of Jesus. And the light is bouncing off of their eyes. I mean, it's just amazing. And the fascinating thing is, think about this, that Jesus is, it's almost like he's coming out of the closet here. Because Jesus, for 30 years, has been hiding his true identity from his disciples. And now, it's as if he's pulling back the curtain and he's giving them a, a foretaste of what they're going to experience from him for eternity. He, they're, they're beginning to see his pre-incarnate glory and deity here right before their eyes on this mountain. And it just continues, verse 4. It says, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. So now you got Elijah and Moses who are showing up on this mountain. I don't know how they knew it was Elijah and Moses. I don't know if they had name tags or what was going on. But listen, these guys haven't been around for a while. Moses has been 1,400 years. Elijah, 900 years. And Moses, he represented the law because Moses, through him, God gave the Ten Commandments and 600 laws in the Pentateuch, which he wrote. And then, you know, Elijah was one of the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, and so he represents the prophets. And so right here on the mountain in front of Peter, James, and John are the law and the prophets, which Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, don't think I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. You realize everything in the Bible is about Jesus. The whole Old Testament, it all points to Jesus. And now the law and the prophets are on this mountain with Jesus. Peter, James, and John, who studied these guys all of their lives, they're there. This moment is epic. And so, of course, there's only one thing that was missing, and that was for Peter to weigh in. Look at it, verse five. And Peter said to Jesus, 
Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. So here's Peter and Listen, have you ever known somebody that anytime a situation gets a little awkward, gets a little crazy, gets a little uncomfortable, they just say something. We call them external processors. If that's you, if you're always saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, Peter is your guy. And so Peter says, Jesus, this is amazing, but I know what would make it even better. And James and John and I, we've been talking and we think we need to start a group right up here. On, on Mount Hermon. We're, gonna, we're just gonna start a group, you know. Uh, we've, we, James and John and I, we're gonna facilitate, we're gonna lead. Uh, Jesus, we all voted, we want you in the group. And Moses and Elijah, they're in the group. Especially, you know, we're gonna like study the Pentateuch, the author is here. But here's the problem with this group, Jesus. If we list this on the website, if we come back down this mountain, like everybody's gonna wanna be in this group. Everybody's gonna sign up for this group. And so, I think we're just gonna stay up here on the mountain. I'm gonna hop on rei.com. I'm gonna order some tents, barring any supply chain issues. It'll be up here tonight. And we're just gonna camp out here, have our group, you know? We don't need fire. We don't need, we don't need a flashlight. You can just do the glory thing. And I heard Elijah had birds bring him food, so he's in charge of snacks. It's gonna get us the hookup up here, and this is gonna be amazing. And I see Moses up there, almost. he's just looking at Jesus like, who is this guy? Jesus is like, I don't have time. I don't have time. And I'll tell you later. And so here he is, and this is my favorite verse in the whole story. It's so funny to me, verse six. Why is Peter pontificating, look at it, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. (laughs) Listen, if you find yourself on a mountain with Jesus and linear light is shooting out of him and Moses and Elijah show up, talk less. It's not so much that you have to say in that moment. And so I love this verse seven. It says, a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. It's as if, you know, a cloud represents in Scripture just the glory of God. It's as if God just puts a big blanket over top of Peter's head. This is my son, listen to him. In other words, Peter, shut up. And, you know, this is one of the problems for us with prayer. We like to talk. God wants us to listen. And sometimes the most important thing you can do in prayer is, how many of you know, if you've been married, is just to enjoy someone's presence. There are times when words aren't even enough to just enjoy being in someone's presence. And that's where God speaks to us. What does he want to say? You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. So many, so many of us today, we're living in an identity crisis. We don't know who to worship. We don't know who to trust. We don't know who we are. We don't know who God is. We are exhausting ourselves, running all over the place, trying to please people, trying to prove our worth at work, at home. And meanwhile, God is just longing to speak deeply to us. You're my son. You're my girl. I'm your father. And listen, if Jesus needed to hear this, I believe every day of his life, 
How much more do you and I need to hear the voice of the Father reminding us who we are? And that's what God does in these moments in his presence is that he wants to reveal some things to us that we've never seen before. And then he wants to remind us of the, of the most important truths that we so often forget. Revelation timely reminders in his presence. And this is what can happen every day when you sit down to do your health kit in the morning and you read the verse of the day. God's word is alive. It's active. As you begin to read it, God wants to remind you of some things. God wants to reveal some new things that you've never seen before. He wants to show up in those moments. And look at what it says, verse 8, that suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And I love this, Jesus only, because think about it. When Moses and Elijah were here on this earth, think about what would have been required in order to have a moment like this in the presence of God. Animals and sacrifices and temples and festivals and laws and priests and blood and all of it. But now Elijah's gone, Moses is gone, and it's Jesus only that's needed because Jesus became the great high priest that would end the need for any other priests. Jesus now makes us, our, our bodies are a temple that can become the temple of the Holy Spirit. No more sacrifices, no more animals, no more laws that are required. It's Jesus only. And when you and I come into an environment like this and we worship God and we experience his presence, do you realize that worshiping God, it's like coming into the center of the universe itself and you might be new to this environment and wonder, man, what's going on and what is it that I'm feeling today? Listen, when you worship God, you are, you are getting a foretaste of what you were created for. It's what we're longing for in the arms of a spouse, in the arms of a partner, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. It's what we're longing for in our art. It's what we're longing for in our career goals, what we're longing for in a sports championship. It's transcendence, it's meaning, it's substance, it's glory, and it's a Available to all of us, City Life Lansing, in Jesus only. And we've got to get close enough to quiet the noise and hear his voice, see his glory, experience his presence, so that what? We can then, number two, get going again to heal the hurting. Do you see the rhythm? Intimacy and mission. Up the mountain so we can come back down the mountain. Breathe in, breathe out. And so here they are, and I wanna remind you today that God is longing for you to have daily encounters with his Holy Spirit. Why? not just for your enjoyment, but for your empowerment to then partner with him to bring healing to a hurting world. That's the goal. That's the goal. And one of the challenges I think we face today is that we come into a church service like this and we can be so easily entertained. You know what the problem is with being entertained? That which entertains us rarely transforms us. And 
it's almost as if you go to a concert, you know, that really inspires you or a sporting event that, you know, just comes down to the wire and you're pumped up at the end of it. You never get to the end of those events, you know, at an amazing venue and think, okay, how can we now go and bring music to the world? How can we now go and, you know, and, 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 and do, it's, instead, what are you saying to your friends? Like, hey, where do you want to go eat? And so often we come to an at the end of, even of a service like this and we forget to mobilize it all into action. And many of us, you know, we're living our lives and we're not getting everything out of even our relationship with God. And the reason is that we get a little constipated. Even God's church can get a little constipated. Because just like your body needs food for nourishment and strength, our spirits need the presence of God. We need prayer. We need God's word. We need a message like this. But it has to be metabolized into cups of cold water and healing and compassion and acts of justice for a hurting world. And if it's not, we are missing the point. Transfiguration is for transformation. And so here they are, and now they're going to come back down the mountain. And when they come down the mountain, they find a mess. And they find a dad who has one son. And the only son he has, there's a demon that's trying to take his son's life. And he's filled with this demon who's throwing him into fire, throwing him into, the wa- into water. He's trying to burn him to death. He's trying to drown him to death. His son's body is covered with burn marks, scars, bruises. And this dad doesn't know what to do. He's got a son who's having the equivalent of epileptic seizures. He can't control the situation. He can't come up with any solutions. So he brings him to Jesus' disciples. You have a desperate dad. And you have a powerless church. The disciples can't help him. And so Jesus comes down the mountain with his disciples. And this dad comes with desperate faith to Jesus. Look at it in verse 19. Jesus now answers them, his disciples and the crowd. And he says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything. Can you see this, Dad? Have compassion on us and help us. And it's what I hear the world asking the church today. If you can do anything, I've read your posts, I've heard your messages, I've seen your live streams, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Help me. Listen, what hope do we have to maintain compassion for a broken and hurting world without regular and daily communion with Jesus. And what is the point of our communion with Jesus if it doesn't lead to compassion for a hurting and broken world? It continues, Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. 
Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Can you see this little boy? Can you see this dad? Healing, wholeness, a disappointed, desperate dad gets his only son back. And I don't know what it is today that you need. I don't know what it is that's throwing you into the fire, what it is that's throwing you into the water, what it is in your life that feels like it is totally out of control. I don't know what it is that you can't seem to figure out, but I know this, that if you will take the little faith that you have, even if it's just to say, God, I need more of it, and you will put it in Jesus, that nothing is impossible in this moment for our all-powerful God. Not cancer, not addiction, not a broken heart, not bankruptcy, nothing. And so the disciples, they pull Jesus aside, and they ask him, This question, why couldn't we help this kid? Look at it, verse 28. They asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Do you see it? Look at this. We're trying so much like the disciples to represent God, work for God, serve God, make a difference for God follow God, and we're doing it so often in our own strength. You and I, we have nothing to offer the world around us without God's power, and we, we have no access to God's power without proximity to Jesus in the daily rhythms of prayer and communion, breathing in so that we can breathe out compassion for a hurting world. You see it? Up the mountain, down the mountain. And it's so fascinating if you just even compare this mountaintop experience in Mark 9 with another mountaintop experience that Jesus would, that Jesus would go through on the cross at the top of Mount Golgotha. Is that here on Mount Hermon in the, at the Mount of Transfiguration, it is a private epiphany to his closest disciples On Mount Golgotha, Jesus is crucified in public, shamed for all to see. At the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is there surrounded by Moses and Elijah. At the top of Mount Golgotha, surrounded by two thieves, criminals on his right and on his left. On the Mount of Transfiguration, his clothes are shining white with glory, brilliant divinity on the top of Mount Golgotha. His robe is stripped from him, just compounding his humiliation. On the top of Mount Transfiguration, it's his father's voice booming out, this is my son. On the top of Mount Golgotha, it's Jesus crying out, my father, why have you forsaken me? You see it? That Jesus came down from the ultimate mountain heaven to earth to walk in our shoes to feel our pain so that he could then 
be compassion to a hurting world and fill us with compassion for a hurting world. And now we have the opportunity daily. <laughs> it may not be this dramatic. Moses and Elijah aren't going to show up in your living room. But we can go up the mountain with Jesus so that we can come down the mountain and bless those he loves. God, I thank you for your powerful presence. God, I thank you that you love a hurting and broken world around us. God, I thank you that even when we feel weak and exhausted, you are still ready to use us, fill us, and even in a moment like this, you're ready to do it. And so God, right now, we make the choice to give you our burdens, to give you our fatigue, to give you, God, our pain, to invite your presence to come and to fill us again. Would you just stand with me across this room right now? All across this room. And I just want us for a moment to breathe in and to breathe out. I want us to do together today what we have the opportunity and invitation now to do all week long. But right where you are, come on, just breathe in. Come on, do it again. Breathe in. Close your eyes, and I want you to just imagine right now God Almighty pouring out to you refreshment, encouragement, healing, provision, revelation, reminders. I don't know what it is you need from him right now, but he's pouring it out. Come on, breathe in. And now together as his church, as his body, let's breathe out. Let's breathe out. Come on, let's begin to pray for our beautiful city of Lansing. Right now, God, I thank you for this city. I thank you, God, for our neighbors. Right now, we thank you for every coworker. God, we thank you for the truck. We thank you for opportunities even this afternoon to go out in a block party. We thank you for the ability to give. We thank you for the opportunity to serve. We thank you, God, for the divine appointments that are coming our way this week. And we just invite you now to fill us with compassion again for the hurting and broken world around us. We receive so we can release. We breathe in so we can breathe out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for Jesus, for his glorious presence. here and here's the cool thing <laughs> he's with you tomorrow he's with you Wednesday he's with you Friday you don't need this band all you need is Jesus only how many you ready this week to breathe in to breathe out for the glory of God <laughs> hey thanks for being at church today I wanted to speak a blessing over you as we get ready to go and love the city one life at a time. Now may the love of the Father, the grace of Jesus, the fellowship of God's Spirit be with you. Amen. Have an awesome week, City Life Lansing. We'll see you next Sunday.
Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. To get connected, learn more, and invest financially, go to citylifelansing.com.